Welcome to the Fast Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Keating, Executive Director of Tech Manchester. This podcast series is dedicated to the challenges that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. Today's episode is quite a special one. We're looking at impactful businesses and how you get them off the ground with very little capital. So today's guest has done just that. She started out with an idea three years ago, a really simple idea of creating a scalable, sustainable meal-for-meal meal program for the homeless and has recently hit the 50,000 milestone in this quest. So we welcome today Caroline Stevenson, founder of Foodnet. Hi. Caroline, congratulations on hitting that 50,000 miles milestone. It must have felt really amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it does, it does feel amazing. Um, it never feels like enough. Uh, being totally honest, so there's always more as soon as you hit one milestone, it's on to the next one. So you never really like stop to appreciate it and to feel that kind of the feel good feelings, I suppose. But um, yeah, it is a really good milestone. And it's sort of just seeing the, the growth that we've had um, as well, sort of month on month towards hitting this milestone. It's been exciting. So hopefully we'll reach the next one soon. You've come quite a long way from the first business that you launched uh, back in the playground. You've you really had that entrepreneurial spirit since uh, since childhood. And um, what we want to really do is is kind of take it back because you've you've had that you know from the very beginning. And we really want to understand where did all this start? Can you tell us a bit about your your first business? Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> I guess I've always had some kind of like wacky enterprising venture on the go. Um, so, like you say, I think I was about five when um, me and my best friend, who's still my best friend now, actually. Um, oh, that's so lovely. In primary school, we used to make up dances and plays and then charge our parents and their friends to come and see them, <laughs> which was great value for money, by the way. Yep. We had seriously good return customer. Do you still love that business? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> come see me every Saturday. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We, just, we weren't really thinking about it being any kind of a thing at the time, but it's just fun and I don't know why we decided to monetize it when we were five but we did um, and then when I was about seven uh, I started walking around the neighbors houses selling perfumes in air quotes um, to, to them which is essentially things I found in the bathroom <laughs> kind of making scented liquids and selling them um, to the neighbors then when I was about 12, I co-founded a fair trade initiative at school, actually with the same girl who I did the thing when I was five with. Yeah. Um, then when I was 15, took part in Young Enterprise, which I know a lot of people um, who have their own business now have probably done that at some point, mm -hmm. uh, which I love doing. Um, and then when I was about 18, I started an eBay business uh, where I was... Um, it was like an import-export business, so I was buying stuff from overseas and selling it online um, to fund my time at university, really, in London, which is obviously an expensive place to live, yeah. especially as a student. So, um, so yeah, so I just sort of, I suppose most of my um, ventures, shall we say, have I've never looked at them at the time as being businesses um, until until food and eight, really. Mm. Um, but kind of looking back, I can see that I always had that mindset just towards life, towards approaching problems. Uh, I always kind of had that entrepreneurial sort of approach to things. 
Yeah, you know, from the journey that you've just explained, you can actually see the growth and development from the, <laughs> the plays right through to your first sort of social enterprise, yeah. the, fur, the fur trade one, to your first commercial one with, with yeah. eBay. But you've come, you've come full circle now and you've come back to, to social impact um, with your latest venture and it's very much focused on um, homelessness. Um, homelessness has grown by 169% in the UK over the last eight years. But why does why is it spoken to you? Why does homelessness re really reach out to you? And um, it always has. Um, it's something that's always, for as long as I can remember, um, made me angry, I suppose. I can't really think of a better emotion to explain it than that. Just walking around the streets of the seventh richest country in the world and seeing people um, in need, I just could never wrap my head around what is a justification for this. It doesn't, it's an embarrassment to the country, I think. And, and you see it more and more and more over the years, um, you know, like walking around Manchester, for example, as people pretty much on every street corner now around the city centre. And it just got to the point where when I was working, um, one of my first jobs was in HR. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very central business I was working for. Um, and it got to the point that I ended up having to walk all the way around the city centre to get to work in the morning because I knew if I walked through the city, I would just be stopping constantly because I would have to, I couldn't just walk past. I had to chat to them, hear their story. I had to try and help in some way, even if it was just a conversation and a warm smile or whatever change I had in my pocket or a sandwich in the local shop, just something. So it got to the point where it's like, okay, this is a very long way to get to work. <laughs> I should probably actually do something about this, but I always wanted to and I've always, always, for as long as I can remember, like throughout all the various ventures I've, I've had, um, that's been my big passion and I've always had random ideas whizzing around in my head for for what I can actually do about it. Like, what can I do that is, like you say, a simple, scalable, sustainable way of approaching this? Um, so I came up with all sorts of wildly overcomplicated ideas first that could never possibly happen. Um, I had sort of, I think one of my ideas was like to have uh, co-op-sized supermarkets in deprived areas um, where everything that they stock is surplus food from mainstream supermarkets, but it's sold at like 90, 95% off, but you have to be a member to shop there. To be a member, you have to earn below a certain threshold. Everyone that works there would be otherwise, um, would find it difficult to find employment. There could be accommodation over the top and, and, and. It just be, becomes more and more and more complicated to mm. the point that it's like, okay, now I suddenly need my food distribution line. Now I need, <laughs> now I need huge infrastructure and um, like, refrigerated vans to carry stuff from point A to B and all sorts of stuff. So I just kind of just started stripping it back, really, like looking at, at all these different ideas I've, I've ever had and seeing where can I simplify it. Hang on a second, we already go out to eat in the UK 1.4 billion times per year. All these people are going without food. There must be some kind of link between the two sides of the same coin there that could work for everyone. Um, and that's ultimately how I sort of grew the idea around food and eat. And um, so you spend a lot of time on the streets uh, talking to the homeless. What were some of the sort of stories that, that you heard? Um, every single person's story is different. Um, there's just, I, I think some of, some of the really heartbreaking stories are, um, I mean, no, no one is in that position by choice. And yeah, it can be anything from, I spoke to somebody who, uh, he had worked in kitchens his whole life, um, kind of either as a chef or, you know, just kind of in that environment. Uh, and then he developed epilepsy, uh, so was no longer allowed to work in kitchens. Um, 
and that's all his experience and kind of skill set had ever been in. Um, struggle to find work elsewhere and kind of one thing leads to another. You end up not being able to pay your bills and if you don't have the family to support you, which a lot of us take for granted and a lot of people don't have, um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do? And kind of once you're in that situation, it becomes very difficult to, to kind of come back out of it. Um, especially if you don't have a fixed address and, and all these different things, and it just gets more and more difficult. So everyone has a different story, um, and everyone's is just as heartbreaking mm. um, as the next, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of different stories. And there's probably many things that, you know, from a point of privilege that we all have, um, that it's, it's really hard to, to, to imagine, but yeah. we all, you know, we all see, you know, the, the terrible um, situation that's evolving on the streets of Manchester. So it's a real credit that you're being part of the solution there. So let's talk a bit more about Fidnate then specifically. This is the, the company that you launched in, with this concept. So how did you get it off the ground? With great difficulty. <laughs> um, I started Foodnate basically from the loft of my parents' house. Um, yeah, with basically nothing but an idea. I didn't have really any contacts that could help or or much experience of my own that I could apply. It was really just sort of figuring things out as I went along. Um, the, one of the first things I, I did, so a point actually to make, I said I didn't have any contacts that could help. Um, that's true, however, my mum had her own social enterprise when she was younger. So she's been a massive inspiration to me and she's been a big supporter as well and sort of pushed me to say, you can do it, like you will figure it out. What was hers then? Um, so she had an organisation called Active Age, whereby it was going into elderly people's homes and care homes and sort of keeping, helping to keep the minds and body, bodies active, whether it's um, singing classes or kind of exercise or Tai Chi or mindfulness. Um, so that, that, that type of thing, that, that, mm -hmm. was her, that was her business. So I've taken a lot of inspiration from her and she's been really supportive, like I say. So um, a company that supported her, she suggested I get in touch with as like a first point of call, which in, is Unlimited. Mm -hmm. So that is um, an organisation that supports social entrepreneurs um, with um, funding and with mentors and workshops and all that kind of thing. So I essentially approached them and said, hi, I've got this idea. I don't know if I'm crazy or not. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> um, and they invited me to apply to their initial like lower stage um, grant program, grant and support program. Um, and I went to go and pitch to them, sort of Dragon's Den style, which at the time was probably the scariest thing I'd ever done. Um, what was that like? <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so scary. And do you know what I did? Because um, you weren't allowed to take uh, any tech with you. So you couldn't use like, um, PowerPoint or like any kind of like demonstrations in that sense. So I did, uh, do you know in the film Love Actually, <laughs> you know um, when the guy is on the doorstep of Keira Knightley and he has the big cards and he drops one card at a time. That's what I did for my pitch. So I had like the stats and like drop the card. I just let it drop on the floor. Um, and then like the next kind of, I don't know, uh, sensationalist piece of information I then dropped. And then the kind of I'd, I'd um, mocked up um, kind of what I'd want my logo to look like and what I want like the website to look like and all the different things um, and like printed it out as so it's technically not tech um, on put it on this piece of card and like kind of drop that sort of thing so I took that kind of approach and I was shaking you could hear the card like shaking when I was holding it um, but that went really really well um, so they gave me some money to sort of just enough to kind of build a brand essentially to kind of yeah. get a logo get a website do a pilot study um, 
and that kind of stuff. So that, that was a massive, a massive thing at the beginning. And it also helped me to just begin uh, in a small way, growing relationships with people here and there um, who can kind of offer an hour over a coffee to give advice, whether it be legal advice or um, kind of business modeling advice or, or whatever it might be. Um, so that was a, a great place to start for me. But in terms of how I actually got it off the ground, just a lot of persi like persistence and determination and, and long hours and not giving up. Um, really, I think it came down to me. I think if I wasn't so passionate about the why I was doing it, um, I probably would have given up at various stages. But I just, that's the one thing that was consistent for me was that like, the why, yeah. that always was there. Um, if it was just a for-profit business, that doesn't drive me the same way as the reasons I'm doing this drive me. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's really kind of what's kept me going and kept me sort of persisting. You were working full-time at the time you mentioned there that you were working in a, a HR mm -hmm. company and you've talked about a few of the lows there. Could you maybe share some of those sort of difficult times and you know, how it's, I guess for this, for the, for the listeners, it's about the how. There's gonna be many social impact mm -hmm. entrepreneurs listening to this hitting the same kind of uh, challenges. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of those? Uh, how long have we got? <laughs> as long as you need. Yeah. Um, sure, I mean, there's, there's some high and some low pretty much every day, which I, I I think a lot of mm -hmm. small businesses can relate to. Um, it's just kind of been a case of plodding along until you hit the next challenge, going away, figuring out how you're going to approach that challenge, approaching it, plodding along some more until you hit the next one, mm -hmm. figuring out how you're going to deal with that. Um, in terms of specific challenges, I mean, funding is always a big one. Um, because we are a non-profit, we are also not able to get investment because there's no equity. So um, it's sort of, in terms of funding, it's um, government-style funding or nothing, mm. <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was always to build a model that would be self-sustainable, um, ultimately, anyway. Um, I never wanted it to be something that would be donation-reliant or funding-reliant long-term, but getting it off the ground, of course, you do need funding. Um, so there's that. But I would say also probably the biggest challenge has been myself in a way <laughs> like my own personal journey like as much as the professional journey of starting a business it's also very very much a personal journey uh, especially when you start something on your own um, it's it's very difficult turns out <laughs> and I put so much pressure on myself as well as because I'm doing it for um, people in need and yeah. I, I walk around Manchester and it's like oh, I can see it right there and, I, and, I, and I'm not doing enough. It's never enough. So I have that constant pressure that I put on myself to should be doing more, should be doing better, should be working harder, all this stuff. Um, and and that, that's a lot as well. It kind of takes its toll. Um, so I suppose I have struggled with my own like mental health journey, that kind of thing. So a couple of years ago, I started having panic attacks and dealing with like quite severe anxiety and that side of things. Um, which can be quite debilitating as well. Um, and, and do you know that was related to the pressure of the business bringing that on? Or did you have you kind of become aware of what kind of triggers those? Um, it's almost certainly to do with the business, um, just when it becomes your whole life. And it, was, it got to the point that I would um, 
wake up, work till I fall asleep, wake up, work till I fall asleep, wake up, work till I fall asleep, like every day, um, which just isn't sustainable. And looking back, it was stupid that I ever thought it would be. But also when you love something, you don't really think about it. And it's only kind of once, once you start reaching burnout that you think, oh gosh, why have I been working like this? Mm. Why have I been doing it like this? Um, so it's all a learning process, but um, yeah, there's, there's lots of different types of challenges personally and professionally, I'd say. Also, I would say that um, as a young female business owner uh, selling to an industry where the leadership tier tend to be, um, tends to be more male-dominated, uh, I'm not necessarily what people are expecting to say, to meet. Mm. Um, so sometimes, and, and absolutely not in every case, but there has been instances where I have felt like I've had to spend the first half an hour, if not hour of a meeting, just proving my worth to be there. And then you have a normal meeting sort of thing. Whereas yeah. I do feel like in those instances, um, a, a male counterpart could probably just start the meeting from that hour point yeah. in, <laughs> which is fine in a sense of, that sort of drives me as well as to see that point when they start to take me seriously and they start to think, well, hang on, she does know what she's talking about. Let's actually like listen up here. Yeah. I kind of live for that moment, but at the same time, it's not time efficient to have to spend an extra hour in the meeting doing yeah. that. Um, so there's, there's lots of different types of challenges, lots of different facets of challenges as well. Yeah, it's, a, you know, it's not an uncommon um, story to hear yeah. from female founders, no matter, yeah. what, in, no matter what sort of mm-hmm. vertical that you're in, whether it's non-profit, you know, yeah. restaurants, professional services, tech, it's it's common. So but yeah. there's there's an entirely different podcast we could probably <laughs> we could probably do on yeah, that. Yeah, there was one instance where I was exhibiting at an event um and uh this uh man came over to my store and he was um asking me about food and eat and seemed really interested and um I gave him my business card and he looked at it and he saw a founder and he just went, Oh <laughs> and walked away. And I was just standing there like, why is there no one here to witness that this has actually just happened? Because it just sounds yeah. so extreme when you say it, but yeah. these things do happen and it is. And it happens in a moment and it just, it kind of just takes the rug out from under your feet, doesn't it? Yeah. Sort of, um, when you need to kind of almost um, feel your strongest, it makes you feel weak at the knees just in that moment and you can't yeah. say all the things that you wish you'd said. Um, I think so, it's yeah. a surprise because you're just... You're just that kind of like, did that, did that just happen? By the time your brain actually processes, yeah. that just happened yeah. so that you can actually respond, then they're gone. Like he obviously walked yeah. away. You would have had I would to have been chase, like, him, Come back here. chase him down. Yeah. Chase him down. <laughs> I've got more to say yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I think that's a collective effort from all of us to, For sure. to address that when it happens and be more um, ready. And to address from the other side. Mm. for people to just be less like that (laughs) but yeah so let's get down to the nitty-gritty of um food need itself how does it work sure so we partner with um well we partner with restaurants um whereby they will select certain dishes on the menu to mark as food need so um that'll be like a little fork icon on the menu and some kind of messaging which explains that um, every time you order one of these dishes, the restaurant will fund a meal for a local person in need at no extra cost to you. So um, we always match each restaurant with those in need in the same area. So if you visit a restaurant in Manchester, your meal choice will be helping someone in Manchester. If you visit a 
funeral restaurant in London, you're helping someone in London, mm -hmm. um, like that around the country. We've also started working with events venues. So for example, um, GG Events and Catering, which is co-owned by Ryan Giggs and Gary Neville, have um, food-donated, fully food-donated all the venues, which means that for every single person attending every single event at all of their venues, um, a meal will be provided for someone in need in the same area. So we're sort of taking, um, kind of expanding that yeah. different approach as well. That's a huge development going from sort of consumer individual choice yeah. in a restaurant. So yeah. for 15 covers that are sold mm -hmm. in a night, maybe 10 of those consumers might choose a, you know, yeah. a food and aid option. But at, at, at an event like we were at the Manchester PA Awards last night, right. and there were 720 people exactly. there. You know, so if you've got another sort of... It's about the volume of impact that you can have through yeah. those means. Um, and that's exactly it. And if you're someone who's planning an event and you're looking at different venues to book and it's sort of like, well, I can I can book here or if I book there, then we're automatically having this impact. Then why would you not do that? And yeah. it's a great way to kind of kick an event off. Like how cool to start your event by saying, hi, everyone. Thank you for coming today. Just so you know, for every single one of you that's here, we're providing a meal for someone in need around the corner. Yeah. Like it's just a really tangible, like powerful conversation starting way to kick an event off. So it's sort of like it adds value for everyone. So it just made sense to try and like just just start that as well. And like you say, it's about the volume, too, that you have in an event scenario. Um, so then in terms of like the stages after that, so we yeah. partner with... So that's, I guess as a consumer, I'm wondering, so if I make that then choice, what? Yeah. so I go into one of these Manchester restaurants and you know, feel free to name check any of the ones that I should go and check out to, uh -huh. to make a food and eat choice. Um, and I see the, the logo and I choose that. How do I know or what happens to make sure that sure. mail goes to somebody that's on the streets? Sure, so we partner with um, food giving charities in different areas. So by that, I mean... Um, uh, homeless centres, emergency shelters, eventually breakfast and after school clubs. Um, and they um, provide the meals that Foodnet generates. So, um, for example, Mustard Tree in Manchester, they will serve um, many, many hot, nourishing meals per day. Um, so we help them to do that. Um, it's really about bringing people off the streets and into a safe warm environment. So it's not about walking around the city and handing mm. food out to people, keeping them where they are. It's about saying like, hey, come here. You can sit in a warm, safe environment where you can get a, a hot, fresh, nourishing meal. And then it's about the what next. So another reason to sort of bring people into a space is also to then kind of open that discussion of, by the way, while you're here, there's also this array of services that you can take part in, whether that's um, kind of counselling or skills building of yeah. various types or addiction therapy or, um, you know, whatever you might need. Um, it's about having those conversations. And food is a very, very powerful tool to have conversations around. Yeah. Um, and that's a, one of my passions with starting Food Me is that realisation too, that actually um, food is a super powerful tool for opening the door and for having conversations and if you imagine that you and I are sat here and I'm your um, service, I'm your care worker and I have a clipboard and mm. <laughs> I'm asking you to open up to me and it's very informal, it's very staged, it's very uncomfortable versus if we're sat together sharing a meal together, you're just much more likely to open up and build relationships and take that next step ultimately. Um, it's also about sort of putting the power back in the hands of the charities we work with um, who are I think too often expected to be reliant on waste food, 
which is super unpredictable, unreliable in terms of volume. Um, they can't really plan around it very much. And also a lot of it can be totally inedible. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about saying, hey, like you, you can now buy in fresh ingredients, healthy ingredients, cater to dietary requirements of beneficiaries um, and also offer more opportunities to beneficiaries to actually come up with their own recipe idea, to get creative in the kitchen, mm -hmm. to get involved in positive and executive decision making, which is a really powerful tool for recovery too. Um, so it's about kind of taking a, a multitude of angles, essentially what starts with food doesn't end with food. And that's why it's about making those partnerships rather than starting the cycle of providing the food ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it sounds like it's more, but obviously food almost can be the th a therapy on its own um, by giving people that experience of sitting down for a family meal that we all remember yeah. when we were growing up yeah. um, and having conversation over the dinner table, but then being able to, you know, bring back a little dignity, a bit of self-esteem in terms of making those yeah. decisions and empowering them to, to make choices and take control over just very small aspects of their lives that we take, take for granted. So we're going to get into the, the tech, because I think if we keep going down the emotional route, I'll probably start crying. <laughs> um, so let's, let's talk about the tech that sits behind Foodnate. Now, you have done this incredibly lean, um, it's, which is an approach that many startups um, take. Um, so how, how does the platform work in terms of the engagement with, um, you know, obviously the consumer doesn't use it. They go in and choose a, a meal. So how does, it all, how does it all work behind the scenes? Sure. So um, restaurants obviously have each have their point of sale system like their till system and that's already tracking um how many like their sales of each item mm. and all that kind of stuff what ingredients they need to buy in and on all various data that they're tracking um so there is no need for us to create that um so it's really just about um them logging on their system which items they've chosen on the menu to include in the campaign and then just keeping track of that so we get in touch at the end of each month um, to find out how many of those they've sold and um, they can kind of report that to us um, and and then it, it's really simple so then from there we've kind of essentially just integrated various platforms that are already available off the shelf so things like um, go cardless or mm. um, making payment um, processes much quicker and reducing admin time and also through using something like GoCardless as opposed to chasing invoices, it means that the donations and the meals can go out much quicker as well. Yeah. Um, so it's really about just kind of avoiding delays at every stage of, of the process. Um, and then really it's a case of, of breaking that down to the different areas. Um, so for example, The Alchemist is in, uh, they have 13 different venues now across different parts of the country. So it's about, well, how many meals are in this area, in this area, this area, so we can stay true to the the eat meal, give meal in your area concept um, and communicating that to the different charities. Mm -hmm. um, that side of things is done manually just to make sure that it's personal yeah. um, to make sure that we're keeping those relationships with the different charities and um, providing them with a breakdown of the what restaurants are supporting them, what restaurants have sold what meals and kind of where that is coming from um, and having those conversations every month. Really, it's, su it's super simple. And then it's a case of sending a meal certificate to the restaurants to confirm, um, you know, we have generated X number of meals this month as a result of our partnership with Foodinate. So they can kind of share that with their customers on yeah. their social media, on their website, whatever they want to do with that. And yeah. it's a nice thing to share. Um, really, it's pretty much that simple. In terms of the back end, it's just, it's a case of um, adapted Excel, <laughs> uh, really. So I've, I've, 
I've had um, people who know more about tech than I do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of come in and I say Excel, it's quite a sophisticated Excel, yeah. as in like they've sort of made a proper kind of semi-automated thing happen. So yeah. once, once the meals are in there, um, it then breaks it down itself in terms of like what was in which locations yeah. and what donations need to be made. Yeah, where. so you can administer it rather yeah. than create it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you've taken existing platforms and created a digital stack which gives you exactly what you need without having to go to the cost of creating this whole, you know, investing in a, a, yeah. a unique CRM platform, which would take a huge amount of resource um, and capital to do. Yeah. When very simply, you could get that whole business yeah. off the ground by using sort of free stuff that's already out there available to to everybody. Yeah, exactly. Like, obviously, the, the dream would be to um, just have a, a tailor-made mm. system that could plug directly into the point of sale system yeah. and feed the information to us and then directly communicate that with the different charities and then go back to the kind of all that yeah. stuff and just like do it all but yeah. um that also kind of takes away a little bit of the opportunities of um having conversations in that mm. process as well which i think is quite an important part of um of a business like this yeah um and kind of maintaining all those different relationships so so yeah it would be great to have something more sophisticated but um so, at the same time, why fix not what's not broken, as they say? Like what yeah. what what I've managed to sort of, um, I guess, sort of link together is working. Yeah, and you're and you're scaling already because you're now yeah. in you what you're in Glasgow, you're in Sheffield, Manchester, and Birmingham. Uh, we're in uh, more twelve cities now. Yeah, so um, Manchester, uh, Sheffield, Leeds, Birmingham, Liverpool. Um, Oxford, London, Cardiff, many places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was really thanks to the partnership with the Alchemist, which came apart, uh, came about sorry, in May. Mm. So that's that's the thing really with Foodnate is it is super scalable because we aren't physically in the restaurants serving the meals and we aren't physically in the charities. Um, on that side of things, um, it just means that whether we have one restaurant or a thousand restaurants or the infrastructure doesn't really need to be that much more complicated. So it's something that can be scaled quite quickly and can be um, just kind of impactful in an exponential yeah. way. Um, but yeah, in terms of um, kind of Manchester places, like so you can check out like Prove Pizza, which is in Disbury. They also have places in Sheffield. Um, you can check out George's over in Worsley. There's a list of uh, restaurants on our website, um, but also like the Student Union, Manchester, University Student Union now have um, <laughs> they're so cute every time they change their menu they add more food and items to Aww. it so I think it started I can't remember how many it started with but um, typically a restaurant will do sort of three to five items um, the Student Union now has nine <laughs> on their current <laughs> everything, menu anything you want everything yeah no, it's amazing it's yeah. so good and and the price points are so are so affordable as well because obviously it's catering to students so it's great that um, you're getting you know, a volume there yeah, well, you, yeah, not not just that, but also that um, that it's super accessible mm. as well. So you can make a difference at no extra cost to you by enjoying also a very very affordable meal. Um, so so yeah there's, yeah, there's a variety of, of different places that you can go to 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 foodinate your day. Nice.
So you, we talked a little bit about funding and how important that was to um, get the business off the ground. And I know you actually didn't have a lot of funding. It was a very small amount, but you, uh, Unlimited gave yeah. you, I think it was a couple of thousand yeah, pounds, was 4, 000, it? Yeah, four thousand, yeah. But now that you're, the business is launched and you're, you're now delivering um, this impact, uh -huh. um, it's about making it sustainable and to some extent monetizing it in a sense to cover the operating costs to yeah. allow it to scale, obviously not to make a, a profit as such. Yeah. Um, and I presume at some point you have left your full-time job and this is yeah. not your full-time job. Otherwise, yeah. uh, I am very than, concerned about your mental health. More than full-time, yeah. <laughs> um, so how, like, what is that, how, how does a social entrepreneur go from being wholly reliant on that funding to get it off the ground? Obviously, you were bootstrapping by working full-time yeah. and doing that in your spare time and you've made that transition at some point, which yeah. is probably where you were becoming more aware of your mental health because I know I was do I did the same. I was working <laughs> yeah. 40 hours a week for um, a service office provider and then coming home and working like 40 hours a week at night time yeah. on, on my startup. So yeah. you do have to have to make that jump. Yeah. But how have you made it sustainable and, and monetized it? Sure. Um, so I suppose like in terms of like the bootstrapping at the beginning, um, like you say, sort of given that like small amount of funding and trying to do as much as possible with that, uh, it was kind of a case of, so for example, with the website, it was a case of approaching, finding agencies with portfolios that I loved and approaching them and saying essentially, hi, I can't afford you, <laughs> but I love the work that, you, that I've seen of yours. This is what I'm trying to achieve. This is what Soonate's all about. If you'd like to work with us, I'd love to work with you. This is our budget. Mm -hmm. appreciate it's probably a lot smaller than you're used to, but it's, yeah. Throwing it out there. Knocking doors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, if you'd like to work with us, you, then that's great. If not, that's great too. Like, just kind of throwing, throwing the ball in your court sort of thing. And they came back and said, I would absolutely love to work with you. That's fine. We'll make it work. Um, Who so, was that that helped you out? Uh, that was with uh, Made by Shape. They're okay. based over in uh, Atherton. Atherton. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Some part of Greater Manchester. <laughs> um, but they're, they're, they've been absolutely brilliant. So, so supportive. We're building a new website with them at the moment, actually. That's a, a work in progress. Um, and the same thing happened with our original video as well, a case of approaching um, video production companies, saying, having the same conversations with them. Just found that businesses in the community have just um, been so supportive. They've just kind of got what we were trying to do and wanted to be a part of it so that's mm. been a huge huge help in terms of trying to bootstrap um, and just kind of ask, putting the ask out there really yeah. and just seeing what people say um, we've also had bits of kind of like drips and drabs of funding from things like awards for all which is part of big lottery fund and um, school social entrepreneurs things like that but um, yeah really it's been more down to bootstrapping than it has been down to funding um, and more down to just thinking outside the box, figuring out alternative ways of doing things that won't cost so much. I do think, I know it's different because we are a nonprofit, but having spent 18 months in an acceleration program that was primarily um, typical private businesses that were on the program with me and seeing um, the kind of culture of step one, have idea, step two, get investment. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the biggest one of the reasons which that startups baffles, feel. <laughs> yeah, which blows my mind. Yeah, um, me too. I just kind of feel like if if you can avoid investment uh, to start with, then then do. Don't make that your number one thing. Because at the end of the day, like a lot of people um, start their own business, well, for, for lots of different reasons. Like I started this business because I'm passionate about the cause, but I also wanted to start my own business because I wanted to work for myself and I wanted to ultimately at some stage um, be able to kind of uh, have a work-life balance and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So to then 
think about getting an investor on board, I kind of see it a little bit as kind of get, giving yourself a boss, yeah. um, like out of choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously you're kind of, it depends on what that person's personality is and all that type of thing. Like it could be great or it could be terrible, but if you don't need it to start with, then, then don't, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, it's been very much about um, rather than spending lots and lots of time applying for funding, which is so time consuming. I did that at the beginning, just like spending sometimes hundreds of hours on one application for yeah. a funding provider, because you'll find that they'll be like 30 or 40 pages of, yeah, just for stage one. And then you wait months for stage two and then months like it can be a year before anything actually happens. Uh, it just got to the point where it's like, okay. This time that I'm plowing into applying for funding, I could be plowing into just trying to grow the business. Yeah. Um, to the point of it being more financially sustainable. Um, so that's kind of a choice, a choice that I made and just kind of went down the bootstrapping route, really. Um, and I mean, in terms of uh, the kind of financial model, it's a case of uh, restaurants cover the cost of a meal and a bit. So it's yeah. that and a bit that helps us to cover our costs and be financially viable and enable us to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, which is, uh, I think, a great place to start in terms of the advice that you give um, social entrepreneurs. I mean, we're sitting in a business here at UK Fast, which bootstrapped and self-funded itself through its first uh, 19 years and still um, has yet to take on investment. But obviously, we've got a very interesting future ahead of us. But, you know, it's about doing it your way and finding, you know, holding on to your passion. So I think that's a great um, first piece of advice um, to those entrepreneurs out there. Uh, what other advice would you have um, based on your experiences over the, over the last three years? One of the biggest pieces of advice that I would say that I had to sort of force myself to learn, I suppose, um, is to learn to be comfortable asking for things and asking for help because that's not something that comes naturally to me. I always feel very awkward and it's, I apologize before I've even said anything. It's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I hope I'm not burdening you. But <laughs> um, so I think it's just kind of putting the ask out there, whatever that ask might be and realizing that if you're serious about about this concept that you've got. If you do want to grow it, then accepting that you can't do everything on your own. Um, and, if you, and if you try to long-term, then that's not gonna be good for anyone. If you burn out, then you can't help anyone else. Mm. Um, so, so ask for help and you'll find that a lot of the times if people can help, then they will want to. Um, and they'll, they'll probably like it, just as long as you um, remember to say thank you yeah. <laughs> um, and kind of let them know how their contribution has has helped you your business grow or has led to um, X impact in some way, then then that's probably made their day. So so just ask and, and you'll be surprised by how many people are willing to help. Um, aside from that, I would say that um, one thing that I always say is that there is such thing as too much advice. Uh, you can spend your whole life having coffee meetings with hundreds of different people who all have a different opinion <laughs> on how you should be doing something and who whose opinions could all be right well, could all be right in yeah. some in some scenarios yeah. in their experience but also might not be right for you um, only you know what's right for your business really like absolutely get advice from experts um, on specific things but but also kind of go with your gut sometimes and uh, don't spend too long getting lots of different people's opinions on every little detail which I think is a tendency to do it right at the beginning because everything's new and scary and you just want to do everything right which is completely understandable um, but you can also just drown yourself in 
in so many differing opinions that you just don't even know where to go next. Yeah, you're almost like paralyzed by yeah. yeah. But I was just I don't know which which voice in my head to listen to anymore. Um, so I think also just trusting yourself and trusting your instincts um, is a, is a really important thing as well. You've recently been awarded the Most Inspiring Women Award at the EVAs. And I think from this conversation, it's come across clearly why you were the perfect candidate um, from, that from that award. And I really love um, your um, crack on. You know, that's how you've really, you've just cracked on and you've done what you can and learnt as you've went. And I think that's a really great story for other entrepreneurs, social or otherwise, to, to hear. What is next for Foodnate? Oh, well, um, it's all about just bigger, better impact now. So um, just leveraging new partnerships um, to expand to more areas to help have an impact in more and more deprived communities, but also growing our base in each of the areas we're in at the moment. Um, so that's one side and obviously pushing the events and catering side of things as well, because as you mentioned, there's, that, that can be an area of, of a volume of impact um, that's the main things um, on the other side it's also about um, spending more time on um, other other types of impact so as I've said food is a really great starting point and it's really about the what next and in terms of the what next what can we do um, directly to support that so whether that's um, through our network of um, business partners providing work placement opportunities, whether it be in a formal or an informal way. Fairly recently, one of our partners, George's, um, uh, had a group of volunteers and beneficiaries from the Boo Centre, which is one of the charities we support in Manchester, come over and volunteer for a day to learn how to make all the different food and eight meals, like learn a host of like, new skills and all that stuff, um, which is obviously a really feel-good experience for everyone um, from both sides. And since then, they, they have those individuals who um, from the Boo Centre have taken those skills back to the centre and have sort of recreated those dishes for everyone else there as well, which is mm. really lovely. Um, so it's about doing more things like that. Um, my, my dream would be to incorporate some kind of training scheme in the future, um, but that's probably a little bit more on the long finger got to focus on. That's always the hard thing is to focus on what you're doing now and not on the next thing. Yeah. Um, so, so it's really a, the, the first point, of course, just to grow to grow the impact that we're having yeah. at the moment, both in terms of food and in terms of whatever else we can do. Yeah, but it's so important to have those goals, those stepping stones, but yeah. also those that the you know the, the big yeah the vision of where you you know where where the dream is, as you say. Definitely. Um, so let's use the podcast. Um, you said it. You know, always ask for help um, to get you to those next stages. What's your ask um, of the audience? Who are you looking to speak to next? Well, I'm looking to speak to um, business owners in the hospitality sector. So whether that is um, restaurant owners or people involved in venues, events venues, um, in particular. Uh, multi-site operators, so restaurant chains or multi-site event venues, um, just in terms of impact, really, um, but also keen to speak to independents as well. But um, yeah, anyone involved in in those sectors, I would love to hear from you. If you're interested in finding out more, you can email me directly, <laughs> um, caroline at foodinate.co.uk, and I would love to hear from you. 
Perfect. So we hope to hear from you venue providers and hospitality owners out there. We'd love to connect and help support you develop this very amazing uh, nonprofit. For those social entrepreneurs out there, we hope this podcast has helped answer some of the challenges that you're facing. And I'm sure Caroline would be happy to answer any other questions uh, that you have. We always like to hear back from you. So please go on to iTunes, leave your reviews, leave your comments and let us know if this has answered the questions that are keeping you awake at night or what else we can talk about to give you a better night's sleep. Thank you.